Egypt is well known for a good summer and good food. And all the information that I have before I come here is that they're just the people that you see over the internet. They just look a little bit different and they speak English and they're Christians. So I have a lot of friends that are Christians. So it should be okay. So why should I do a research? This Friday prayer, I did it for myself, not for anyone else. But the way we do that, that's different. Moving away from home. I'd heard stories about it. This isn't my home. It's changed my life. I really wish someone told me. Hello and welcome to another episode of Statelessness. My name is Anas, and in this podcast, I try to bring societal awareness to foreigners of different countries in different countries. Between adversity and culture shocks, each episode will give you a different perspective of what it's like to live away from home. Firstly, I'd highly recommend following our Instagram page at Statelessness for regular updates on episodes and content for the country of the week. And while you're there, please subscribe to our podcast from the podcast platform that you're listening to me from right now. And now, on to this week's episode. My guest, Abdel Menem, or nickname Menem, comes from the land of the pharaohs. He spent four years now in the UK, and so in this episode, he's going to be referring to the UK as here. Prior to moving here, he's lived all of his life in Egypt, unlike most Egyptians who travel abroad for university, who will have lived outside of Egypt for a great part of their lives. Mm, for myself, I, re- I don't really consider them to be like having the Egyptian culture, because if you're like an Egyptian and all you know about Egypt is from the internet, there's a lot of stuff that you don't really know. I mean, social media is a kind of a platform that is not really realistic. So you have a lot of wrong ideas about what Egypt is like, the revolution and things like that. We did actually, this actually shaped a lot of our beliefs now. If they're good and if they're not, it's really debatable. But yeah, most of the other people that did not live in Egypt don't really have those experiences because all of they know is just from the TV. Okay, so back in Egypt, we usually are very family oriented. For example, I live with my father and mother and grandfather and grandmother in the same house or not not literally the same house, but just the floor underneath us and this is actually a very common thing it's not just me and our family are very connected to one another so like my mother usually go to her mother which lives like 20 minutes away from our house and i used to go there as well like actually once or twice a week every week so the family actually carry the word family in it not just the people in them because sometimes people in here use the word family as to, as a collection of people in this world but we use it as a whole thing those are the people that you're connected with and again this is not just me a lot of people in Egypt like just they just live like this people in the family are more connected than here especially if if you're talking about like Egypt as a place the education there is not that good at all according to the UNICEF website The quality of education in Egypt is a major challenge preventing children from developing to their full potential and contributing to the society in the long term. That's mainly because they're totally free for all the people and especially the teachers do not pay enough attention to teach the children that much because there is nothing that like there is nothing to gain if you teach correctly there is no advantage for you to to do something if you don't have any motivation to teach why would you teach you just go to the school 
sign that you went there when you go so that that's how you get paid and there was no system at all to like monitor how good are the teachers performing and how good or bad are the teachers liked by the students and the pay was actually very horrible that's was another another reason for why um private teaching was very extremely common actually in egypt i mean i don't know literally anyone that did never have a private tutoring in their house after school because it was not that reliable to go to school and just that's it a lot of those tut- uh, tutors and teachers actually some of them were were the same as the teachers in the school which is very stupid <laughs> yeah that's why that's actually because they're they're not performing at the, their best at the school the students in egypt if you're trying to properly educate them that the teachers are using canes to hit the students they're not using them like torture like or something like this but for myself i think that was useful at the time because some of the students they just cane them and they get disciplined I think it's not that bad of idea, especially if you're not like leaving them with marks or something like this, and it's not actually hurting them, just like to deliver the information. Compare that to the student-teacher relationship in the UK. They can actually stand up in the middle of the class and just curse at the teacher and just tell the teacher to f off. And I don't think in any way that would have happened in Egypt. We can never say something like this. And if actually someone did that, he will be made off as an example in front of all of the students by being in and being off the school for like a month or something like this. And if that did not make the student change of his, change his attitude or behavior, more consequences could take place. People in here can actually insult their fathers. I never knew this till I saw it. And I never thought of it as a possible thing at the time. Like we're not equal. systems in here teach people that they are equal even if you're like seven years old and you have done a, quite a lot of things that requires you to be disciplined in, way, in a way or another but the quality of education in egypt is a challenge for some other reasons when i used to be a kid it was very very reliant on how much can you memorize if you can memorize too much you're pretty much done with most of the questions that come up in the exam and the exams were everything that you have you don't have homework that counts only exam counts But it was understandable because it's a very corrupt system that you'll never be able to tell if they're telling the truth or not. There is no evidence if there is a student that's acting correctly or acting not in the correct manner. So if, let's say, your father do know the teacher quite well, he can just tell him to give my, give my son a good mark in this subject. And the teacher would actually do this because the teacher behavior is also not monitored. Uh, that's why I think having the final exam to count for everything is not a bad idea it's a good idea to have in Egypt at least for the moment but actually the education now in Egypt we have a new minister for education which was a professor in, in Cambridge for a couple of years Yeah, and he used to study how education works this was his thing if I did not change my school and I would have gone through the how the, the secondary school goes in my very first school I would probably have not been here today because uh, it's it leads you to a very different path that is very decisive and very very risky because you cannot retake any of the exams you have eight exams that you can that you should take in like nine or ten days in a row and most of them depends on uh, on memorizing too much so it's very very hard to nail every exam and the marks were extremely extremely high so if you'd like to get to like medicine you probably have to score over 98% or 98 point something percent and if you did score let's say just 98% you would not be able to get there and you cannot it's illegal to repeat the exam 
So this is like very stupid. It's it's just one take. You can never retake it. So this year becomes absolutely hell, not just for the students, but for the parents as well. Because the parents are very frustrated by how their kid might never be able to do what he really wants because of this year. And the minister is today trying to change it. And people are very stubborn to change it and they don't want to change it because this is what they're used to. Even it's so bad, they're used to this and they don't want anything new. If you're a doctor and or if you're an engineer, you've made it. And if you're something else, you have not made it. You're just a loser or somewhat of a loser. And if the people did not tell you you're a loser, they think of you as a loser, which is even worse. <laughs> so my friend, he was he wanted to achieve a good score in, uh, in the secondary exam, the secondary school exam, and he wanted to do medicine. So his father uh, told him, you will not get out of this house for one year. I mean, for some of you, this might sound like a fictional story, but it is actually true. And he did not get out of the house for an actual one year, total year, that he didn't see his sister for this whole year. He just saw his father and sometimes he sees his mother just in like Fridays. That's it. Some other student doesn't have to really go through all of this to achieve this because there's a lot of cheating sometimes in the in the exams, which is also very bad and I mean this is also how this is also why some of us really would like to transfer to GCSEs in Egypt because they're very well monitored from the school and so Menem did his IGCSEs which are the international GCSE equivalent in Egypt my father told me if now now you have done like three A-levels and eight O-levels, so what universities can you apply for? So I did apply in the universities in Egypt and outside of Egypt. First of all, I did not take the A-levels in order to travel. I took them just because I wanted to take them, which was very uncommon at that time. <laughs> uh, because in here, most of the people that are taking the A-levels, they take them because they want to get to university, and this is how you get to university. But in Egypt, you don't have to take three A-levels or two A-levels, just one AS is good enough to go to university. And converting from the GCSEs to Egyptian edu- uh, education, they just tell you what scores did you get and they just convert them into percent at the end. And the way they converted to the person or to a person to look like an Egyptian uh, number at the end, it was very unfair so that you wouldn't choose GCSEs from start, which is very annoying. Uh, they would never accept me because they have very, very high uh, score standards. I don't really want to get to too much details, but if you have just one C and most of them are A's or even A stars, let's say all of the of the marks you have is just A stars and just one C, you've got 96.5%. And I think I mentioned that medicine in Egypt is probably 98.7% or something around that. So if you just have one C in, let's say, English, which is the most common subject that people don't really get high mark in, especially in Egypt, and you have A stars and literally all of the other subjects you will not be able to get to any medicine school in any university for that matter. Menem was accepted in universities in Egypt, but lower ranked ones. I came across the piece of information that here in the UK they can accept you if you have three A-levels, if you have got good marks in them, you can apply. For that time I wasn't really fully aware of what university is was just a very very vague idea of like it's a bigger school where you're going to like get educated more about some stuff that looks the same as your A-levels that's pretty much it I think 
He then looked into his overseas options, applied, and got accepted to study in Exeter University. Okay, honestly, uh, I did not do a good research that usually people does when they come to the UK. Like, they have to look where they're going to live exactly, and the ranking of the university, exactly what's the university known for, uh, stuff like that. So information like this, you it's very easily found if you're like looking up the university you're going to, which I did not. And all the information that I have become before I come here is that they're just the people that you see over the internet. They just look a little bit different and they speak English and they're Christians. So I have a lot of friends that are Christians. So it should be okay. So why should I do a research? I feel like I already do know the place, which I actually did not because most of the Egyptians, they think of it as very... Um, very expected expectations kind of you see because i mean we don't even know the differences between americans and british people and australians and people in europe generally speaking especially when you're 16 and younger than this you don't have any experience you just they look they, you can somewhat distinguish between them between them because those look a little bit white those have like certain look in their eyes or something like that like you know that asians have a little bit smaller eyes and Maybe Germans, they look a little bit taller than usual people. It's like if you have not done a research and you just depend on stereotypical things that goes among the society, all you know about that they're Christians and they are blonde and they speak English. That's the only strong differences that you should be aware of. Nothing else. At the time, it was very, I don't know, it was very convenient to think about that I do know the stuff that I'm going to see. I didn't do a research to the point that the day of my flight, <laughs> uh, gosh, I had no idea what I'm doing because I came, okay, usually when international students are arriving at the, at the airport, they usually contact the university and tell them I want someone to come and get me to the university, especially if it's not in London because I remember my very first ticket that I bought to travel here was a ticket that I bought with my father from travel and tourism place, something like that. <clears throat> but then after we got this ticket, we didn't plan anything after that. And they did not call the university to, to to tell someone to come and get me to the university, which was in Exeter, which is like six hours away from London. Uh, so I just traveled and I did not have so much cash on me. And I did not, I didn't, I didn't buy a SIM card first when I came up. No one told me that I should buy a SIM card the, the first day I came. And I remember buying a SIM card on like the second week I was in, in, in the UK. <laughs> So consequently, I did not have internet on my mobile and they were not able to inform my parents that I did arrive. Luckily enough, of course, as you might have expected that there is internet coverage on Heathrow Airport. So I did call them and I told them, what shall I do next? <laughs> and they told me, I don't know, uh, try and have a look on how can you get to university or how can you go there? So there was like a machine that prints out tickets. So tells you, where do you want to go? So I put X there. And the machine doesn't accept cash. I was I was very confused because all I all I think about is cash. We back in Egypt, we always deal in cash, especially all the people under twenty five years. They don't have their own bank accounts, so they have to use cash. And at at that time, I think I was just eighteen. I remember when I was like I don't know sixteen, maybe I was that old, and I thought of people that have credit cards to be extremely wealthy. How can they have a credit card? <laughs> and if you if you can manage to steal one of them, you can just, you're, you're worthy for the rest of your life, that's it. <laughs> and when I went to the bus, I started looking for any student that might have been going to Exeter as well. 
And luckily enough, I also found an extra student and he had a SIM card and he booked me a, a car to go to my accommodation, which I had no idea how else would have gone there because it was almost morning by that time. It was like 5, 6 a.m. It was very freezing and I had no SIM card, no internet and no idea what to do. And I was very, very relaxed. I don't even know why I was that relaxed. Lucky enough, it did work out. I don't think that anyone should do the same as I did. I was somewhat lucky. You have to look like for every detail. You have to look for when are you going to arrive with this. I mean, if you're going to Egypt in the night, people are operating exactly as the <laughs> as the morning. There are like restaurants opening, taxis are available. Not just taxis, general transports are available most of the time. Most of the places, almost all the places. It end, In some places it ends like 3 a.m. And it starts again at 6. So this three-hour period is just the only three-hour gap that you don't really want to be in. So we have to plan ahead a little bit, So I, which I did, uh, obviously did not know. بيقولوا اني بارد بيقولوا انك تاني باشا شركتنا مش عاجبه يترفل انت بتتقفل انا بتقفل اضربه بالكتل باشا عتامي I'm not very social, you know. I don't really like to get along with a lot of people at the same time and I don't really like huge gatherings. So when I came out to the Maya Foundation, my first thing that came up in my mind, how fast is the internet here? Because I noticed the internet is going super fast. And it's unusually fast for me because back in Egypt, the internet is really, really, really bad. It almost doesn't work. <laughs> and I was very interested by the idea of having a good internet, decent internet that actually works on every website. <laughs> and you, I just remember now when I went back in the summer to Egypt, I told my friends, you have never seen a YouTube video. We've never seen an actual YouTube video because all what you, you if you remember the qualities of YouTube, we always choose the second worst one. Not the absolutely worst one, it's 144p, I think. I think the second worst one is 240p pixel. And this is the one that we always used in order for the video to work as, as it's loading. And I was very amazed, I was very entertained the first day of the internet. I was very happy with having a good, actually working internet. <laughs> and then the third day, I think this was the first day in the, in the university. And I didn't know how to go to university from the accommodation. The, the accommodation was like 20 minutes or 15 minutes walking from uh, the university. It was like 15 to, to 20 minutes walk. And I didn't know which were the directions. And there was no one in the accommodation to ask. Who are you going to ask? But lucky enough, I found people going to university and I just followed them. And it was very, very stupid for me. I mean, I remember not having a lot of information at that time. Maybe that's mainly because back in Egypt, I'm used to asking people. You can usually almost always ask your parents. You can almost always ask your fellow students, your friends, usually. I mean, that's it. That's the sources of information. I'm not really used to finding things on the internet. But now I use it too much. Like I, I use it for literally everything. I mean, you can rent this place when you're, stand, you're still in Egypt. You don't have to do much. And if I know this, I would have booked a better recommendation that I did for the first year. That's too much of information that we did not know as students coming from Egypt. Me, I mean, it was me and three other or four other students that came with me to the that did have like a similar journey to me, but they were in London. Egypt is well known for a good summer and good food <laughs> because the weather in here is very, very, very bad. And the food, man, the food, the food in here is so much, so much tasteless it's the shit and chips it's not it's not even good it's so bad it's so bad it's very oily and no one eats it why it's the most common thing to to eat in, in here this is maybe why a lot of the of the british people i've seen over here 
they usually go for Indian food and they're very w- willing to try different foods from other countries because they're not that well satisfied from the only food that you've got. That's why in here in the UK, there are a lot of shawarma restaurants. Because when I first came here, when I tell anyone that I'm from Egypt, they think about the pyramids. This is the most common thing about Egypt. And we used to be pharaohs and they know more about the pharaohs than they know about Egypt now. And the second most thing that I think they know about is the revolution, the 2011 revolution. I think this is the second most popular thing that gets tossed around when I say I'm from Egypt. We as Egyptians, I think, at the first year especially, we try to look for other Egyptians, if if there are any. Luckily enough, I found three Egyptians on my first, I don't know, like week and a half or maybe two weeks. I think the first two weeks. Two of them were in my class, which was very, very good. I did actually know uh, a lot of people from different places. We knew two people from India and one from Singapore and uh, two from Dubai, one from Kuwait, which is Egyptian. Yeah, but he lives in Kuwait. He lived all his life in Kuwait. Uh, Three Chinese or maybe four Chinese, three from Turkey and one from Malaysia. Uh, Yeah, and one of them were, were English, just one of them were English. But this English dude, he was not like a Briton. He was he just had like the passport, uh, but he lived most of his life in uh, in Switzerland. We had a lot of uh, cultural differences, and we had to cope with one another, which was very fun for most of us. I think most of us had very good experiences with one another. Like we had a lot of things to know about one another. What's considered to be funny? What's considered to be annoying? Uh, what does those people do in their free time and stuff like this? Which Bring, usually bring people together. I think that that's was my first year. And this squad was mainly the same for the next two years, for the second and third year. We got to know a little bit more people in the third year that was actually British. Uh, but we did not get along that much. No, no, I mean not in that sense that we were not happy with one another. I mean in the sense of we did not, I mean let's say you have a project with someone and you get to know them for like a good amount of time and then it was a little bit hard to extend your knowledge with this person after this knowledge of the project it's like forming a relationship with british person uh, it's not that easy i don't know why but i'm speculating that because there's a very like too much international people living in the uk in general i mean remember i remember that back in egypt when we see like a chinese person even if chinese people in general are, there are like too much they're not they're not like they're not very rare exactly uh when you find just one chinese person we become extremely excited about this person he's different and we'd like to know more about him and it becomes like exponentially interesting for us when when we know that this person is also interested to know what our egyptians like and you start telling him that we do this in our free time we we like to go to movies we eat this and that stuff like this and if the person's just showing just a little bit of interest we just become very happy and this is because Egypt in general, we're just Egyptians that live there. We don't have too much of different countries that come and try and live with us. I think this is why people in here are uh, not that interested because they have a lot of people from too much countries. It's probably not a racist thing or, racist thing, thing or something like this. I mean, yeah, this was a very important topic that I thought of, that people are usually racist in here before I come. Menem explains that he found this to not be true when he actually moved to the UK. People were usually warm and welcoming. 
I don't think I'm very influ- influenced by the UK culture, but I learned from it because I'm, I don't really interact with a lot of people that are British in my age, other than if we're in, like, in a project or something like this in the university. But other than that, I've learned that the importance of time, I mean, back in Egypt, we don't respect the time at all. Like, it doesn't even cross our minds. Like, if I tell you that I'm coming at 4 p.m. and I turn up at 6, you would not notice. That's how bad it is. I remember the time when I went exactly like 12 minutes late to a lecture and uh, the professor told me, you're 12 minutes late. And I didn't understand what he meant. Like, 12 are you crazy? What's wrong with them? I mean, people are sitting over there. What's wrong with being 12 minutes late? I don't know if it was like a gag or something. Maybe he's kidding with me. I told him, okay, so... I, I was on the verge of saying, so what? <laughs> and I just shut up. I said, I'm sorry, because I thought he was very serious about it. And I think that rang a bell for me, because I have seen people treating time of it as if it's very important, which actually it is, but... I didn't, I've never thought of that. I remember going to the to my school a little bit late and I miss usually the first class or half of the first class. And it's okay. No one will tell you like, where the hell have you been? Or something like this. Or it's a big thing. It's never been treated like a big thing for us. That's why we don't really appreciate time at all. Yeah, this is a thing that I'm glad to, to have learned from the people in here. And how serious they are at, when they're working. No matter what the job is, they take it seriously. They take it very seriously, even if it's a silly job, an easy job. And we don't do this in Egypt. People take everything casual-like, and we don't really get angry from people that does this. It's okay to come late, it's okay to come early, it doesn't really matter. Because the incorrect thing was very common, I did not even notice that it was the incorrect thing, or the wrong thing to do. Another major influence on most Egyptians when they move to the West is their religion practices and how it changes due to both internal and external factors. Okay, so when I was growing up in Egypt, uh, religion was a big part of our life in Egypt. And this has a huge influence on my character. When I came here, I suspected first that people are here are having like similar culture, but they're not Muslims and they're Christians. That's the difference. So the, I can like familiarize myself with them, Egyptian Christians, which is completely, completely wrong. And I figured out that most people in here don't really give so much attention to their, to their religion in general. And that was a huge blow when I've seen people, they don't really know much about their religion. And they don't really search, even if they know that this is very important, even for them. I mean, if you know what's the afterlife like, you'll probably prepare something for it, right? Maybe that's why my father told me some stuff not to do. Like, we don't drink in Egypt. And this is becoming a very, very cultural thing in the UK when you're like 18 to 24, you drink as much as you can. When I was in Egypt, I didn't even know what's alcohol like. It's just like a theoretical thing. You don't even see alcohol in the streets. We don't sell alcohol in the streets. Unlike here, of course, it's extremely common. It's in the supermarkets. You can buy it and you can give it to like 16 or 15 year olds. So... It's a common thing, which I've never been exposed to. And when I came here, I thought of, like, you have now the very total freedom to choose if you'd like to ch- to, to try it or not. Did I, did I, like, believe what I say I believe all along or not? 
Because if you don't, it's pointless. Why would you pray if you're like a Muslim or why would you pray if you're a Christian or like a Jew or whatever? Why would you pray or why would you say you are a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew if you don't believe in none of this? And I've never also been exposed to like atheists. There are a lot of atheists in here. Surprisingly, it's like 30% or like 40%, something like this. I'm not quite sure. But it's a huge deal of Britons are atheists. Uh, I'm not quite sure if the churches should ring in some times of the day for like prayers or something like this. But back in Egypt, we have five prayers a day, just like Islam says. And it says in a very big, loud noise that this is a prayer now, something like this along those lines. And you have, it's like a reminder for you to start praying now or like call to pray. In here, when I came, the mosques in here does not have that uh, calling to pray thing. And they cannot have like uh, speakers, huge speakers to tell people that this is the time for praying. The only way that you can figure out what's the times for praying are just going to the mosque and asking like the imam or finding it on the internet. That's There's no other way to find what the prayer is. Because especially in the UK, the times of praying are, they keep changing all over the year. They keep changing, like I think it's two minutes a day. They change like two minutes a day. So like over a month, they change like, an hour if i mean if you probably care most of the my friends we don't usually care we didn't pray um this is what was the biggest shock i think when i was put to the test if i really believe in what i used to say i believe in or not and the only solution i came up with was just read read more and when i started reading i knew that i've never read reading about the religion that you say that you follow i mean i've met a lot of christians in here and in egypt most of us no longer read about our religion. It's like a given thing that you don't really consider that much in your daily life. And you think it's just the rules that you should follow, restrictions, that's it. You don't really know that much. And you're not really convinced if it's right or wrong, if it's correct or incorrect. Is it healthy to follow this religion or if it's not healthy? You don't really know that much about it. That's why I was not very shocked at why was most of my friends not praying anymore when they come from Egypt to here. Because your parents told you some stuff to do and you just follow them what they do. And this is not very healthy. This is why I think a lot of people in Egypt are not that well educated. And Quran itself is written in hard Arabic, like high level language. And this is where terrorists, most of them come from. So in order to follow Islam, you have to have a lot of information. And if you have, as a matter of fact, if, if you'd like to follow any religion, you have to have a lot of information about it to follow it. This is when I thought I don't have enough information, so... It played a part where I don't really... I'm not really watched by anyone, because back in Egypt, your parents see you, the community see you. Like, there is a Jama prayer on Friday that we always go, like, 1 p.m., around 1 p.m., and we all pray. It becomes very busy in the in the whole city, and everyone goes to pray in the in the mosque. And then here, there is almost no one that goes to the mosque, because they're, like... I don't know, only the few Muslims that live in here go to the mosque. And most of them are not, of course, British because they are not Muslims. Um, so this is when you can actually not go to the mosque because if parent, if you're like an eight-year-old boy and you miss this Friday prayer, uh, you might get caned by your father because it's, it's a wrong thing to do. And you don't really know why. But now when you're like 18, now you're tested if you actually want to do this or not. 
And if you're doing it, you're probably doing it because you want to do it, not because someone has seen you or has told you to do it. No one will tell you. If you, I mean, I remember the very first Friday prayer I went in. I remember that I felt that I felt it in my bones so bad that this Friday prayer I did it for myself, not for anyone else. It becomes um, I don't know how to explain this, but you feel like you're doing this for you, for yourself, and for God actually, not just for your father and mother and and it feels very very different um i think that's it the religious i think the religious part played like a huge part in in my interaction with people in here you see the problem here is not simply religious it's what you discover about yourself when you're presented with the freedom of choice this is a very common experience that people have when they move to a less restricted country compared to their home country. Reflecting now on my first year, I've seen a couple of Chinese girls that I felt that they had, they're experiencing the same thing, that they're acting in a way that they've never been acting in China. They're trying out weed for the first time just because it wasn't available in China. So that means if it was available in China and no one would, co- would catch you if you're smoking it, you probably would have done it. So not smoking when you were in China never came from your your freedom. It never came from freedom, which I think nowadays in the UK, especially if you're like 18 or more, you have total freedom of what you'd like to do. You can be honest with yourself more often and know whether you're doing what you're doing from your own uh, your own freedom or not. When Menem first moved to the UK, He found it easy to understand people in London, but struggled understanding people from other places around the UK, even though he was taught in an English medium school. I think most of them, because they receive a lot of tourists every year, especially London, they're so much adapted to listen to internationals speaking, so they they probably understand me so much easier than people from other places, let's say Glasgow, Newcastle, Exeter, places like far away from London, they don't really understand like how internationals speak and how internationals' accents sound like. That's why they're not very familiar with it. And my suspicions were like somewhat confirmed when my mother came this year and she told me she understand she understood the, the, the people talking in London and they understood her English even if it was she has like a little bit weaker English. And it was okay to deal with people in English in London on her own. And when she came to Newcastle, she told me the accent is so thick and I don't understand like 80% or 60%, 70% of what they're talking about. And when I stumble across some of the, the words when I'm speaking, they don't really understand what I'm talking about. Because when, when we're learning English back in Egypt, we just know the words. We don't really have accents. We just spell each word and put them together in our own accent. And when we watch some stuff on YouTube or watch movies, like... 95% of them are American, so that's that might play a very, very big role. That our English is a little, it it's could be very easily changed to American, American English, because it's so much easier to learn, I think, from my perspective at least. Uh, and I'm quite sure for most of Egyptians as well, it's easier to learn American English. Because maybe if, the, if you notice that in the UK, they, have, they deal very, very weirdly with the letters like T and R. The T sometimes is very stressed, like that. And sometimes they don't say, like, the word letter could be, like, letters, you know? And the, so they, like, ignore the, the letter R and completely, would be, like, completely 
And so, so it's very weird that we stress on every, literally every word, every letter in the in the word. So that's really annoying. And that's what the Americans does when they're speaking English. So this is why I think learning American English is so much easier for us. And upon reflecting on whether he would choose to come to the UK if time were to go back? Let's say if I choose another university and continue with my life in Egypt, I'm sure that I would be missing out on a lot of experiences, especially the things that are related to culture, things, especially that we don't have a lot of people from different places around the world. In here, you have a lot of things. You have Indians, you have Chinese, you have British, you have, I don't know, people from Spain, people from everywhere. So this is like a mix that you would never be able to get in Egypt. And I think this was the the thing that would probably push me towards here more often than not. And the quality of education is, I think, that I don't really have to... I cannot state how much that good, uh, how much important that is, the quality of education that you get in here over in Egypt. Especially if you're like in a good university in here. I mean, there are a lot of universities that are average in here as well, but most of them, most of the high ones are very good. So they're worth worth the journey. I would have probably started working from year one. I did not work until year three and four in anything. Not just for the money, for the experience. I I now think I value experience in working very, very much more than I used to. Maybe because mainly I did not have any experience in work. But the more I have, the more I think that it's... I mean, the difference between theory and practicals could be very, very significant, especially if you're like doing engineering or something like this. You don't really know how much difference does it make if you have practical, uh, practical knowledge of what you're studying. It adds too much value for your knowledge because you have like thorough understanding of what you're doing. You don't, you're not just memorizing stuff and writing it out correctly or in a correct method. So I think I would probably find a job from the first year, even if it was just a silly job, just like have a job. Having a job is very, very good tool, especially if you're young. It will teach you a lot. First of all, it will teach you money management, which you probably don't have any idea about, especially if you're living in Egypt and you're like somewhat doing okay. If your family is doing okay, you don't have to have a good money management management skills. Final advices for the youngsters out there thinking of traveling abroad for university. Think a lot and do your research before you come. Most of the people that I see would like to travel, they have not done their homework. They have not studied the country quite well to know what, what's going to happen to them. They, don't, they have no idea. I mean, there's a couple of things that you must think about. If it's a long-term journey that you'd like to like come here and live in here for the rest of your life, or like for the most of your life, or would you like just to come for a short term and get back? Because for each one, you have to have your reasons to, in order to like I tell you to do it or not to do it you have to have a very good reason to do it because other than that you're wasting a lot of time and money over nothing and for any Egyptians out there who might want to travel abroad for education just for the sake of leaving Egypt it's getting away from Egypt yeah because the, the doctors in Egypt they don't have enough rest they don't have they don't get enough money they don't get well paid they're treated so badly in in some of the government hospitals. I told him, if you're comparing countries, you'll probably be so much better if you left off Egypt because there are a lot of facilities that's so much better and easier in the UK. Like, way, way easier. Like treatment, education, uh, transportation, most of those stuff that you usually use in your day-to-day life, it's so much better in here. But if you're, like, very attached to your community and idea of community, it's so hard to break out of your shell, no matter how flexible you are. It doesn't, it's not that easy to break out of your shell. And if you did break out of your shell, you'll always have this, which one am I? 
am I the new one? Am I the new person that's doing this and that? Or was I the person that I used to be? Thank you so much for listening till the end. I am so grateful. If you liked the episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcast platform you're listening from right now. And for great content, follow us on the Instagram page at Statelessness. And I'll see you next week with another story of another Statelessness. Home is where the heart is. It's incredible. I'll be keeping an eye on that one.